Morning, everyone. Great to be with you this morning. And um, yeah, just a little bit different from uh, my, my, my normal approach in preaching. I, I, I was reading um, the Leonard's latest uh, message to us, those of you that get their, their newsletters, and, um, and find myself, as I do quite regularly, praying for them that the Lord will bless them. But just for a moment, pausing and thinking what it's like to be a Christian in restricted circumstances and where they can't meet with fellow Christians, where they can't openly use the Bible and, and, and prayed for them, but, but just thought, Lord, I want to celebrate our freedom, that we can meet how we do, that we can preach the Word of God, that we, 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 we have little restriction in our freedom. We have massive opposition in belief and faith, but we've got that. And uh, I, I delight in the churches that we work and served in and, and love the fact that we're a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching community of people. And uh, this morning, it, it just got my mind thinking, and I'm at the beginning of the year, so I'm going to indulge myself a little bit and, uh, and not so much preach from the Bible, but talk about the Bible. And specifically, because you know me, I'm always going to have a bit of an edge to it. Um, what's your relationship like with the Bible? So here it is, the Bible. If you like your history like me, it's a series of manuscripts that were cobbled together and, uh, and then monks and scholars brought, brought them together and there were some writings and then the, chur the church started, of course, the church's Bible was the Old Testament, the prophets and the law. And then, then gradually it came together and there was that massive moment when the Bible was printed and the priest used to chain it to the Bible, to the pulpit, so nobody could open it, nobody could read in it because you were plebs and you certainly weren't worthy of reading the Word of God. And then, and then, of course, came the Reformation and blah, blah, and the Bible was unchanged and it became accessible to everybody. It was very dangerous to the clergy to let people like you and me have a Bible. And, uh, and then, of course, evangelism comes down and, the and it just explodes. And the Word of God is still the most popular book in all the world today, in spite of, in spite of. Uh, here's a few stats for you. And uh, apologies right at the beginning, because these come from America. Uh, and, and so they've got that nuance to them. But they're, they're, they're Western, and they, 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 they make the point that I want to make. 85% of all Americans have a Bible. The average number of Bibles in an American household is 4.3. But American Christians, less than 9%, which means 1 out of 11, read their Bibles every day. The figures don't get too much better it's less than 13% of Christians read their Bible once a week. So here we've got this culture that we live in where the Bible's been accessible to us. If, if John asked a few questions at the beginning, and, and, and I guess if he says, what's the Bible? The vast majority of us would say, oh, it's the Word of God. And yet our relationship with it, now I'd like to believe that those stats are not common to, to all of us. 
but, but, but the disparity be put between the availability of the Bible and the, and, the, and, the, and the willingness of people to have the Bible in their homes measured against how much they delve into it, study it, read it is challenging and alarming. Now, the good news is I'm not going to have a bit of a rant uh, and, and, and try and find out. But, but why do so few people read the Bible? And even more important, is it relevant to our Christian lives today? And it's a complex kind of subject because there are multitudes of answers. We, 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 it, it's, the Bible itself is complex. It's bewildering. We've got access to multimedia. We've got worship albums. We've got podcasts. We've got all kinds of stuff. So, so why do we commit ourselves to reading the Bible? And I guess, I guess the first thing that I want to say is, uh, is to pose the question, well, what is the Bible? What is the Bible? Um, this, is, this, is, um, this is Pauline's current reading. And um, just for a moment, imagine that she, she opens it up. Well, she's got a bookmark in. So let's take that out. I'll put it back, sweetheart. Um, let's imagine that she, she, she picks it up and she reads from here. And um, she reads for, for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And then she puts it down and in a week's time, she picks it up again and she, she reads from here again. And, and, it, and occasionally, she'll, on, on, on a sunny morning, she might go back here and read a page or two from there. And, and it begs the question, well, why? Now, this legitimate answers because if this, if this was a cookbook then we all have our favorite recipes and we've got some worn pages and we go to that and then and then it might be my birthday and she she wants to and she might want to find something a bit special or we have friends around for dinner and she'll go somewhere else and look at that and because it's a recipe book well that's how you read it. It, it it's it's i've never read one in my life but it's it's using it for what it is um and then, the, then we've got these things, we, when this was written, the, the Bible was written, didn't it have these things, but we've got these things called search engines. And if you get hold of a, a Gideon Bible, that will have a search engine in it at the beginning. Where to look if you're worried, where to look if you're fearful, where to look if you're in despair, where to look, where to look, where to look. And, whew, and nothing wrong with that. Except... They haven't got what this is. Because this is a story. And the first thing that I want to impress upon you this morning, that this book, the Bible, is full of great recipes. Taste and see that the Lord is good. <laughs> he says, I prepared a banqueting house. It's all that kind of analogy. It all works. Um, the Bible is full of references for how we live. The book of Proverbs is full of wisdom about how to do it. So all that. But first and foremost, the Bible. Oh. Oh. I'm going to go to hell. Sorry, sweetheart. <coughs> I knew it was coming. The Bible is a story. 
And the, the, story, the story is the story of God. The story is the story of the heavens and the earth. But more importantly, the story is your story. It's my story. You see, in a, in a bewildering world where people don't know what their lives is like, I want to tell you that you, and here's, here's the proverbial controversy, whether you read the Bible or not, your story is in the Bible. And, and, and your future is in the Bible. And the life that you're living now is in the Bible. So I'm quite intrigued. It's the story of God. It's the story of creation. And it's the story of you and me. And like all good books, it has a beginning. It has an ending. And it has a middle. And, 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 and very, 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 very quickly. The beginning of the story, well, it's at the beginning of the book. That's good. And, and in Genesis, and, 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 and the story out of Genesis says, heaven is made. God, God makes the heavens and the earth. Now, heaven is not kind of spiritual heaven. It's the solar system. It's the cosmos. And, and let's not worry about how God did it and how many. But the simple fact is God made the heavens and the earth. That's what we believe. And then when he's made that, he makes mankind. He makes, he makes animal life and vegetable life. But then he makes mankind and then it says the climax of this beginning of the story is that heaven and earth and God and man come together and they have a party this 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 wonderful language of the garden of eden where where God and man clearly live together we know that because because man was man man and woman were clothed in glory now, that, it's, glory is a very interesting word in the Bible. And I'll come to it in a bit. But, but they were filled with glory. So much so, it, actually, in biblical language, it means they got God clothes. And uh, we read this time and time again. It is that man, Adam and Eve were like that. And then we find a little later on, Moses goes up into the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he meets with God and he gets clothed in glory. And then we find Jesus in the Gospels where he goes up the mountain with the disciples. We call it the transfiguration. And Jesus was filled with glory. Because something happens when we meet with God. And they were clothed with glory. And God begins the story. And in the story of this wonderful existence called Eden, he actually says, now I've got a bit of a plan. Because the Garden of Eden wasn't the end of the beginning. It was just the bit that God said, this is to get you started. Because Eden was not like the rest of the earth. The rest of the earth was filled with potential, filled with opportunity. And God said to man, I give you glory, I give you rule, and I give you authority. And go and make the rest of the world like Eden. That's what he says. It's very fascinating philosophically that, that, that God says, go and multiply so he gave mankind the gift of sex. Hallelujah. He, he, he then says, go and rule. So he gives mankind power through authority. 
And then he says, and this is a little bit more subtly, but he says he's created and it comes out in, in later chapters, particularly with the building of the tabernacle, that the earth is filled with precious minerals and deposits and he gives mankind the gift of money, materials. Power, sex and money come from God. For us to bring the kingdom throughout the world. And then of course, it all goes belly up and we rebel and we're banished from the presence of God and the glory goes and, and power, sex and money becomes a curse rather than a blessing. And, and the end of the beginning is separation. That's how it starts. And then quick, few hundred pages and we go to the end. And we go to the book of Revelation and the end of the story is that we read about a God who calls himself a restorer. And we find that actually the last verses of Revelation chapter 21 is that heaven comes down to earth. That, 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 that what had been separated is joined together. And, that the, and as the prophet says, the whole of the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Uh, the language like this, of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. And he says, and he says to them, he says to these people that are left, he says, and, and you are going to be crowned with glory and honor. This word glory, actually, it means two things. It means brightness, shininess. Shekinah was the Hebrew word. But actually glory also means authority and power. You, you will rule the nations. And what God started in the Garden of Eden, he says, is going to finish when Jesus comes again. And we could spend an awful lot of time in both of those. Um, so now we get to the middle bit which is real fun, because the middle bit is God working out his promises through people like you and me. And so the story and the Bible, the middle bit is God saying, okay, you've messed it up, but I'm going to make some promises. And we've, these, these in old-fashioned language, they're called covenants, but they're promises. And God makes a promise to Noah. And what he says to Noah, he says, I'm going to flood the earth. I've, I've it's all sad that the world's gone so wrong. I'm going to start again. I'm going to start with you. And you read Noah, and God gives Noah exactly the same promises that he gave Adam and Eve. Because God is faithful. Somebody prayed that this morning. One of the reasons why God is faithful. Let me just say this as a, a little thought to sow it. God is constant in love towards us. He never stops being himself. He never stops loving us. That's, we repeat that constantly to one another. God is love. God unconditionally loves you and me. When we talk about God being faithful, it's a little bit different. Because whilst God is faithful to us, God actually is faithful to himself. That's what it means. He's faithful to the promises that he's... God cannot break his own word. And he gives his word to Noah that the world will never be flooded again. 
He gives his word to Noah that what the people lost when Adam and Eve sins, they're going to get back through him and he's going to bless them. And then they go and mess it up again. So God picks another man and his name's Abraham. And he gives exactly the same promise to Abraham. And he says, all the nations of the earth, he says this to a childless man who's past his dotage and actually physically was incapable of being fertile. He was impotent. His age had come. And so was his wife. But that's no problem for God. And he says, he says, you will be the father. And of course, the Jews focus on the bit that he was the father of Israel. But actually, they didn't see the end of the picture. They were very short-sighted because God says he's going to be the father of all the nations, not just one nation. And so it goes. And then comes Moses and then comes David. And then come the prophets and God is faithful, keeps repeating it again and again. And ultimately he says, oh, <coughs> there's only one way I'm going to make this promise really work. If you want a job doing well, do it yourself. And we call it Christmas. We call it the incarnation. We call him Emmanuel. God becomes one of us. And all the stuff of the cross that we love and believe so much, he fulfilled his promises. And so we come to today, because that was 2,000 years ago. So what about the church? Where do we fit in in this great story? You say, well, John, that's all very fascinating, but what's it got to do with Brexit? How will your life be if forests get beaten this afternoon? Uh, don't wind me up. Uh, and, and, you know, all, all these things about the mortgage and about whether the Tories are going to make a fist of it and are the Labour Party any better and the horror of what's happening on our streets and people going to jail for the most horrendous things. And, and my God, it's all overwhelming. And, and it's all right for you to waffle on about the Bible and these great stories of people that lived thousands of years ago. But what about me here and now? Where do I fit in? Well, this is where I fit in. That right at the beginning, God planned me. I knew you before you were framed. That's what he says. What about my sin? He talks of Jesus and he says, the Lamb of God who was slain, who went to the cross before the foundation of the world. He'd already got it planned. God said, because the Bible says it, let's make mankind, and he made Adam and Eve. I need you to know with absolute assurance that God says, let's make John Pettifer. Let's put him on the planet on October the 18th, don't forget, 1948, oh my Lord. And that's what he said about you. You're not a happen chance. Your natural lineage and parentage may be great, it may be distressing. But the reality is, is that you can look and know your identity because the Bible says you were planned eternally by God. So what about my destiny? Now, we need a few new specs. Because the, the cultural teaching that we've, we've lived in for, for many years and I'm not having a pop here. I'm glad to be an evangelical. We preach the gospel and the good news. But my generation for 150 years 
we've been taught a gospel that it is kind of black and white. It's to do with sin. It's to do with heaven and hell and eternal life. And, and, and the gospel that we've preached has been very simplistic and very direct. And I've got no problem with any of it. It's just that it's not the end of the story. You see, there's nothing wrong in talking about life after death. But if our lives are all about accepting Jesus as Savior, doing our best, and then going to heaven, a few questions. If that's the case, why has Jesus got to come again? Job done. We go to heaven. So what are you wasting your time for? Coming again. Because what's he coming again for? And this is the great theme of the New Testament, not salvation. <sighs> Save me, Lord. But resurrection life. We can only get resurrection life through salvation, but Jesus is coming again because he's going to restore the heaven and the earth and the people of God are going to live together with God like they did in the Garden of Eden even better, but it is something far bigger than heaven. I like the writings of Tom Wright and um, uh, I, there's a book here I, I, I'm going to recommend. Some of it, those of you that like studying the Bible, this is a great book, Surprised by Hope. And he really focuses on the truth of the resurrection in the New Testament. And he calls, he calls this future life after life after death. See, what, is, what does it all mean? You see, this year, my son Andrew, he's 40. And, um, and he's, him and Gemma have kind of saved up and they're going to have a bit of a bonanza holiday. And they're going to their favorite haunts, which is south of France and to Italy, a little bit into Germany. <coughs> I'm going to take about three, or three, maybe four weeks in it. And what's really nice, <coughs> excuse me, they've asked Pauline and I to join them for a week. We've, 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 they've made it clear. <laughs> they don't want us there for the home. But, 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 but we're going for a week. And, and part of Pauline's bucket list, it's me as well, but Pauline's always wanted to go to Avignon. And, uh, and so the first week we're spending together in Avignon. Now, the problem is, and the reality is, to get to Avignon, we've got to go to Stansted. Now, I've got no problem with Stansted, but I don't want to spend all my time there. You see, this may come as a bit of a shock to you, but heaven, as you've been taught it, is Stansted. Now, God's kind. When I go to Stansted, I'll go in the VIP lounge. I won't be with the plebs. I'll be, and, 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 and I'll have free gin and tonics and a sandwich. And this ain't going to happen for me in Stansted, but I'm being metaphorical about heaven. You know, I, it, heaven is wonderful. It will be in the presence of God. There will be no more tears. There will be joy. There will be, my spirit will be alive in Christ. But, but the simple fact is I'm there waiting for Jesus to blow the trumpet or the archangels and for Jesus to come again and get me to Avignon which is a new heaven and a new earth where I'm going to be reacquainted with my body. I'm going to be raised in life and live wonderfully 
forever and ever. Now, that's the truth of this story. All of a sudden, it gets a bit more exciting that this notion that, well, we're saved. Thanks be to God. I've got my bus pass. I now need to be worried about sin and the devil because God's forgiven me. And all true, and we're not being sarcastic about it. And then I just carry on plodding through life. No. The Bible that I read says that all of a sudden I'm saved because not only to give me the prospect of a wonderful hope, surprised by hope, but also with a purpose that I am one of Christ's representatives that live a life in the community that I live that displays the anticipation that there's a purpose in life that's found only in Jesus and that there is hope that only comes from Jesus that is not merely rest in peace, but actually is go to the holding station, which is heaven, and wait for Jesus to come again. Time's up. What am I here for? Well, number one, I've got to model the promise. I've got to live like Abraham. I've got to live like David. I've got to live like Moses. I've got to live like one of the prophets. I've got to, I've got to proclaim that there is hope for this needy world and live that life. The second thing that Jesus says to me, even though I'm going to heaven and Stansted is guaranteed, I've got to prepare for his return. And he gives some sober comments about wise virgins and foolish virgins. He makes some sober comments about people whose lives are built upon not reading the Bible, but doing what the Bible says. And all of a sudden, the Bible becomes a little bit more important because it's not only the evidence of God's grace and love, but it's the also the evidence of his prosecution about how I've lived my life according to what it says. I have to understand something that celebrating grace, I don't take grace for granted. That the assurance of heaven is wonderful and I do have peace with God. But the Bible that I read, and it doesn't matter which version I get, it tells me that the final judgment of my life doesn't come before heaven. It comes after it. And that the first thing that will happen when I'm raised in new life, I will face Jesus as judge and Lord. Now that sounds a bit scary. It shouldn't be as scary because he brings justice and he knows everything we've done in his name. But the prospect of gain and the prospect of loss is there in front of us. Wow, what a story. And you can believe me or not, I've done my bit, but you're in it. You're in the book. And my encouragement is to believe it now and start reading it and practicing it because you'll find out it's true when you face it. And I'll find out how true it is when I face him. This wonderful thing. So, here we go. I've done. Anybody that says, how do I get started, John? Well, this is a nice one. I've read this for years and years. This is a one-year Bible. It's in easy-to-read English, and it just takes you through age by age. It's called chronological, which just means in time order. That might be a bit too much for you. 
Um, here's another one, those of you that might like to say, well, I'd like to get a bit more into that. This is called The Big Story. And, and it, it, it alludes to what I've been talking about, God's relationship with Noah, with Abraham, with David, Moses, and through Jesus, and our story in it. That's, that's really a good read. But if you want to say, oh God, John, I've, I've never really acquainted myself. Where do I get started? Come and talk to John. Come and talk to me. And don't get panicky that we're going to put you on to some massive commitment to a reading plan. You need to understand Greek like Ben does and copy a few notes like I do. You ain't got to be like that. You've just got to love and believe that the God of your life is writing a story that is utterly wonderful. And God bless. Let's join the adventure. Thank you, John.